the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then God separated the water and the sky. He formed the seas and the land. Then, he covered the land with trees and plants. Then, he filled the world with all the creatures of the sea. And all the creatures of the ground. And then he made us. To live in paradise. Until Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit. All right, who's ready for Genesis? Awesome. Well, take out your Bibles, your mobile devices this morning, and go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. If you need help finding that this morning, it's on page 1. Today we kick off our summer series called Beginning Stories in Genesis. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of y'all like fruit? You like fruit, okay? How many of y'all like gardening? You like gardens, okay? You like gardens, all right? How many of y'all like naked people? Naked people, okay? All right. If you like any of those things, you're going to like our first uh, message today here in the book of Genesis. I've titled today, First Things First. First Things First. We're going to talk about the foundation here in Genesis. It's a very foundational book where it starts at the beginning and it lays a foundation. And we're going to, the way we're going to approach the book of Genesis, we're, we're, usually we go to book of the Bible, we go verse by verse through the whole thing. Well, you guys have probably checked this out, that there's 50 chapters in Genesis. And if we went by verse by verse, we'd be in this thing for two or three years. And so we're really going more story by story. And so we'll be looking at passages and chapters rather than every single verse. And that'll kind of move us through this summer through the book of Genesis. And so speaking of first things first, the first thing we want to do when we approach any book is we want to apply the three most important rules of Bible study. And church, help me out. What are the three most important rules of Bible study? Context, context, context. So you have these in your notes. Let's first get the context of the book of Genesis. The context. The title, Genesis, and you have this in your notes, is from a Greek word meaning beginning. And, the, and it, of course, starts out in the beginning. It means beginning. And this is the book of beginnings. Uh, we see the first universe, the first heavens, the, the first of human history. We see the beginning, you know, of sin, the, the beginning of salvation, sacrifice. We're going to see today the first family, the first marriage. And so Genesis means beginning. Uh, most everybody accepts and believes that the author of the book of Genesis, can you help me out? Who is it? It's Moses. It's Moses. Uh, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, we believe, the first five books of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some refer to this as the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. Uh, that he wrote those first five books of the Bible. Um, and if you don't take my word for it that Moses is the author, then take Jesus' word for it. Because in John chapter five, Jesus said that Moses was the one that wrote the beginning of the Bible. If Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. Amen? So we're going to accept that Moses is the writer. Do we have our screen back yet? Perfect. Awesome. Um, we actually are in the process of trying to get a new projector and you see why. Um, the date of the book. This book is one of the most difficult books to date because unfortunately Adam and Eve didn't keep a nice little calendar, you know, Google calendar uh, there in the garden. We know that this book of Genesis spans over 2,400 years of time. 
The book of Genesis covers more history of time and a time period than all the other books of the Bible put together. And so we believe that we know it was from creation, whenever that was, to Israel being in Egypt. Most have placed it somewhere after 1800 B.C. Somewhere in that ballpark, somewhere after 1800 B.C. based upon what we know about Israel when they became a nation and when they were in Egypt and things like that. Um, the purpose of the book is this, is to reveal how the sin of man is met by the intervention and redemption of God. This is where the salvation story begins and continues throughout all the way to the book of Revelation. It's that theme that God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. It's been separated by sin. It's the beginning of his plan to restore our relationship with him. And aren't you thankful for that this morning? And it all begins in Genesis. The theme of this book is that God is going to choose a nation through whom he would bless all nations and deliver the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's going to come to this nation. We know that as the nation of what? Church, help me out. Israel. Everybody say Israel. It's the nation of Israel. And we see in the book of Genesis the founding of the nation of Israel through which the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come and save the world. And it's through that nation of Israel that six times in the book of Genesis you'll read this phrase, and in you, in you, Israel, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Well, how are all the nations of the world blessed by the nation of Israel? Because it was through Israel that our Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, came into this world. One of the things that a lot of people say, well, you can't find Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, only if you're not looking, <laughs> because he's everywhere in the Old Testament, and he's everywhere in the book of Genesis. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, and in at the, and the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus began to expound to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus, when he was on this earth, quoted Old Testament in the book of Genesis talking about himself. And we can see Jesus pictured and, and arriving on the scene of the book of Genesis as the spoken word of God. As we see Adam, and we know Jesus is the second Adam. We see Jesus in the seed that we'll look at next week with Adam and Eve. We see Jesus pictured in Abel and Noah and this Melchizedek high priest. We see Jesus pictured as Isaac, uh, the son. We see him pictured as the lamb. We see him pictured uh, through a man named Joseph. I mean, there's so many parallels between Joseph's life and Jesus' life. So we're, we'll point those out as we see them, but Jesus is pictured all throughout the book of Genesis. There's something in Bible study, when I was in Bible college, they taught us called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention basically says this, when God mentions something the first time, he is setting a pattern for the rest of the Bible. When he mentions it the first time, he's letting us know, this is how I designed this to be. We're going to especially see that today when it comes to marriage. It God, marriage was God's idea, and he sets a pattern right in the book of the Bible, the law of first mention. So today, we're going to look at three firsts. You have these in your notes. Three firsts. And the first thing we're going to look at is the first heavens and the earth, starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through five. The first heavens and earth. I say heavens, not just heaven, because we know that Paul tells us in the New Testament there are three heavens. There are the, the first heaven is the heaven that we see, our sun, our moon, you know, our solar system. The second heaven is the other galaxies that are way out there that we cannot see with the naked eye. We can begin to see some of those now through the Hubble telescope. And then there's the third heaven, and that's where God dwells. Paul talked about being caught up to the third heaven. So in the beginning, God says he made the heavens and the earth, not just heaven. And it says in verse 1, in the beginning God. Everybody say, in the beginning God. You, you might want to just underline that, highlight those first four words of your Bible. Because those are four of the most important words in all of Scripture. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of the God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. You see, in verse three, you see Jesus already. Then God, what? God said, the voice of God, the word of God spoke. We know that John said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And this is him speaking. And then in verse 4 it says, And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first what, church? The first day. You see, it's hard, if not impossible, for any scientist or historian to improve on the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God what we believe about those four simple words determines everything we else we really believe about God and the Bible. In the beginning, God. We also learn from those four words, in the beginning, God, that God is a baseball fan. In the big inning. Oh, I've been just waiting for this series to start to throw that one out there. 
hang with me, it gets a little better as we move along, okay? But those four words, in the beginning God, those four simple words refutes the atheist that says there is no God. Those four simple words refutes the agnostic that says, I'm not sure if there's a God. In the beginning, God refutes the polyist that says there's many gods. In the beginning, God refutes the pantheist that says that all nature is God. In the beginning, God refutes the fatalist that says there's no divine plan because we see from the beginning God has a divine plan for the universe, for creation, for mankind. We also see as we go through the book of Genesis that this is a personal God that wants a personal relationship with us. He's a God that speaks. He's a God that sees. He's a God that names. He's a God that blesses. He's a God that interacts with mankind. Now, now chapter 1 of Genesis, I wrestle back and forth how to approach this chapter. We can make chapter 1 of Genesis as simple or as complex as we want to make it. We can make it very simple if we just by faith accept in the beginning God created. And just take God at his word as what he said. And don't try to prove it or disprove it with history or science or whatever. Just believe what God says. Or we can go through and we can pick every verse apart. And we can bring science and we can bring history. And there's people who've done a wonderful job of showing even through science that it proves the Bible to be true. If we were going to do that, we could spend all summer just in chapter 1. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to keep it simple for all of us. I'm a simple-minded person and a simple thinker. I'm just going to accept in the beginning God created and take him in his word. That's good enough for me. And that's how we're going to approach this. Now, for those of you that want to go a little bit deeper, you want to see some things about creationism and science and history and how it lines up with the Bible, let me give you two resources that you can check out and you can spend as much time on this as you'd like. One of my favorite books on this subject is called Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel. I've shared this book with many people who did not know God. They come from a science background, and through this book, they came to know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. So I would encourage you guys uh, to check that. And if you want to go to a website, there's a great website by Ken Ham. He's probably one of the most well-known creationists of our time. He's got a website called Answers in Genesis. So check that out. You can go verse by verse through all of these things. You can look at the gap theory and all these other things that people talk about and, and check that out. So I'm going to keep this fairly simple. But I do want to just share a couple of things that help me. They may not help you, but they help me. In verse 5, right here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, it says in verse 5 God called the light day and the darkness he called night so the evening and the morning were the first what church they, they were the first day you know a lot of people debate about how old is the universe how old is the earth you know was it six literal days of creation or was each day you know like you know hundreds of thousands of years I just take God at his word when he tells me the evening and the morning were the first day that tells me that was a day you know when, when we have an evening and a morning we know we've completed what a day. I think God put that in there to be specific and help us out. That helps me to accept that. And, you know, some people say, well, what about the science and the history that proves that the earth is, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, you know? Some think it may be even a million years old. Here's what helps me with this. I believe that when God created the heavens and the earth, especially the heavens and the earth, he created it with age, with maturity. I don't believe the Garden of Eden was, you know, just these little saplings that had to grow up. I believe they were full-grown trees of maturity. I believe the mountains and things, they had maturity to them. When God, as we're going to see in a moment, puts Adam and Eve in the garden, were they babies? No, they were a man and a woman. He created them with age. And so I think some of what can help us with science and the Bible, saying how old the earth and universe is, is I believe God created the earth with age. And we can certainly accept that because we see that back. When he put the animals, they weren't all baby animals. They were full-grown animals ready and able to reproduce. And so that, that helps a little bit. So what about the theory of evolution? Well, you can't... For me, this is me in my simple mind, I cannot accept the theory of evolution and lay that alongside of in the beginning God created. Those two for me just, one is right and one is not. Do I believe that we can breed different kinds of cats and different kinds of dogs? Absolutely. But I don't believe we can breed a dog into a cat or a cat into a dog. We've, we've never seen that happen or take place. You can't turn an apple tree. It doesn't over time evolve into an orange tree. And so I think we got to be careful with that, with, with evolution and, and, and how that works and, and, and just accept that God created. In Genesis 1.11 and verse 24, it says that everything is to reproduce after its own what? Kind. It doesn't reproduce a different kind or turn into a different kind. And so uh, there's just some things that help me that I wanted to share with you. Here's the real issue of chapter 1 of Genesis. 
If we can't take God at his word in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, then how do we take God at his word in the rest of the Bible? If we can reason that away through science or history or fables or stories, then we can reason anything in the Bible away. If I can't accept the first Adam that God created, how can I accept the second Adam, Jesus Christ, that God sent to this earth? It really makes a difference, folks, what we believe about those first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, from chapter 1, we're going to go start heading toward chapter 2 in just a moment. There's a transition that takes place. M Moses at first starts out with this huge view. It's like we're watching a movie screen, and, and God's making the heavens and the earth and the universe and the earth, and he's got this big, huge, wide-angle lens, and then all of a sudden, very quickly, he just zooms in on one man. He just zooms in on the screen on this one man and this one woman, which takes us from the first heavens and earth to the first man. The first man. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Stay with me. We're going to jump around just a little bit here. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's look at the first man that the Bible says God created. We, got, we good on our screen? Okay, cool. Then God said, let... Now, this is interesting. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You know what we see right there in Genesis 1, 26? We see the representation of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Spirit working together in creation. You don't have to get 26 verses into your Bible and the Holy Spirit shows up. Let us make man in our image and our likeness, the Trinity. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. What, is, what does that mean that we're created in the image and likeness of God? What is God like? God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. We're going to see in a moment, God makes man three in one, in his own image. We'll see that in a moment. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God said, verse 28, then God blessed them, and God said to them, this was their first verse in their Bible. And it was a command, something they were to do. He, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Everybody say multiply. multiply. What was he telling them? Reproduce. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over everything that moves on the earth. God's letting you know there that my main interactions are going to be with mankind. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created... Keyword, in the day the Lord God made them, made the earth and the heavens, verse 4 says. And now jump down to verse uh, 7. And the Lord God, now watch this, here's how God made man in the images and likeness of God like the Trinity. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. Some of your Bibles may say he became a living soul. Do you see what we have here? God made him a body, a soul, and a spirit. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breathe is also translated in other scriptures, spirit. He put a spirit in him. See, that's the difference between man and animals. Animals have a body, they can breathe, but they don't have a soul and a spirit that live forever for all eternity. And you see right here in verse 7 of chapter 2 that we are made in the image of likeness of God with a body, soul, and a spirit. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. You know, everybody calls it the Garden of Eden. It's really a garden that was in a region called Eden, but we'll stick with Garden of Eden. That's cool. And I think God even uses that language. Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man, just dropped him in there, when he had formed. Whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now watch this. Here's the first of these two trees you see talked about throughout the Bible. The tree of life was also in the midst of garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Make sure you guys understand there were two trees in the garden. We often just hear about the one tree of the fruit they ate or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There were two trees there. One that gave you everlasting life. One that led to death. And Adam and Eve would pass by these two trees every single day with a decision to be made. These two trees. Jump over to verse 15 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend it, to work it, and keep it. Now notice, has sin happened yet? No. No, everything's perfect. Everything is absolutely perfect. No sin is entered the world. And what is Adam told to do? Work 
Listen, work is not a dirty word. Word is not a, work is not a sinful thing. Now, once they sin, work becomes harder. But work was in the beginning. God created man to have a job and to work. And verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man. Now, here's the second verse in the, their Bible, Adam and Eve's. One was, do this, be fruitful and multiply. The other one was, don't do this. Commanded, notice who God commanded. He commanded the, say it church, the man. We say this all the time at Orchard Church, and here is why we say it, and there's many other verses to back this up. Here it is, Father's Day, so let me talk to the men for a minute. God created the man to be the spiritual leader of his home. He commanded the man. He gave the instructions to the man. He, and we're going to see this next week. Even though Eve was the one that technically sinned first, who did God hold accountable? Adam. You'll see it next week how it plays out. It's, it's amazing. And then the Lord God took the man. He put him in the garden. And then verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Have at it, Adam. Eat all these wonderful fruits. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat that tree. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely, what church? Die. You shall die. These two trees represent the juxtaposition of all mankind. They represent a choice. These two trees. One that represents life, one that represents death. One that is from God, that is life. One that is evil, that, that leads to death. One represents doing things God's way. One represents doing things our way. One of them is represented by God who is good. One is represented by Satan who is evil. They represent, let me just simplify it. These two trees represent obedience and disobedience. And we have a choice. Adam and Eve had a choice. People ask me all the time, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. If he had never put it there, then they would have never sinned and none of us would sin. We'd live forever and all that. You know why God did it? To give us a choice. Because he did not create us as robots. He created us as free moral agents to give us a free will and a choice. Because God is called our heavenly father. And he wants us to love him and follow him and trust him. Not because we have to, but because we want to. I'm a parent. I tell you what, my Father's Day was made this morning. My, my son, Caleb, sorry, he's, um, he's been gone for seven days. He's going to be gone another eight days. He's going to be gone most of the summer. I guess we're getting ready for college, what that's going to be like. He's playing on this travel baseball team trying to get a college scholarship. And this morning at uh, 6.45, I got a text from him of his own free will. And it said, happy Father's Day, Daddy. I love you. Thank you for everything you do. He, nobody made him do that. He did it because he wanted to. I love that. God loves that. He wants us to, to choose to follow him, believing he's our heavenly father that has the best for us and he loves us and that we choose to. And he gave them a choice. Notice what the scripture says. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't just the tree of evil. It was the tree of knowledge. This word knowledge comes from the Hebrew word doth. It means this, to know by experience. God said, if you eat of this tree, you'll, you'll not just know cognitively, you will know by experience evil and death. Yeah, this is the problem, church. People today, everybody wants to experience everything once. You know, I want to, well, I think you should try everything once. You don't have to get wasted, puke your guts out, end up with a tattoo you never wanted, and wake up with a hangover to know that's probably not good for you. You, yeah, I don't have to experience that. I can see somebody else experience that and go, I think I'm going to avoid that. You know? You, you don't have to become a drug addict and ruin your life and ruin your marriage and, and everything else. You don't have to personally experience that to know it's bad, it's not good for you. And that's what God is saying here. You eat of this tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to experience sin and its negative, horrible destructive effects I mean think about this y'all let's I just want to kind of try to take us into this garden for a minute God is like I made the heavens I made the earth I made you Adam I look at this incredible garden look at this look at all these fruit trees I provided food I mean this was a paradise it was amazing and he's like all of this is good for you but this one tree is bad trust me you can have all of this but don't eat this it won't go well. Just trust me. Parents, don't we understand this with our kids? 
I mean, we tell them, you know, good parenting is not having too many rules, but you have a few that you go, you know, don't do this. It's bad for you. You can do all this. You've got all these toys. You've got all this yard. Have fun. Have a good time. But don't run with the scissors. I'm just telling you, if you run with the scissors, you're going to fall. You're going to stab your eye out. We're going to end up in the emergency room. It's going to go bad. Well, I've been to college. I've taken psychology. I think I know better than you, mom and dad. You know, I'm going to run. They want to do the one thing we tell them not to do when we've told them all these things you can do. And the same is true with God. God has all these incredible blessings and joy and satisfaction. He says, you can have all of these things. Just don't have this. Trust me. It will go bad. It, it will hurt you. It's, it's not for you. You know, we just got back from a vacation a couple weeks ago. Some of you know, and, and, and we had been saving for several years, you know, timeshare points and all this. And we went to Hawaii. And about the third day of the trip, and now this was supposed to be Shelly and I's 20th anniversary trip. But because Caleb's getting ready to graduate and our kids are older, we said, we don't know how many more trips as a family we're going to have. We're going we're gonna to bring our teenagers along with us. We thought that was a really good idea. We thought, man, how many teenagers get to go to Hawaii for two weeks? It's going to be, you know, and surf and boogie board and go snorkeling and do all these fun, cool, it's Hawaii. The third day of the Hawaii trip, we had to have a come to Jesus meeting. Did any guys on vacation ever have to have come to Jesus meetings? Because I had, and you all are going to laugh at this, I, uh, I had determined, I mean, because it's very, very expensive in Hawaii. I mean, every meal was like twice the price. So I had figured up, if we would just, all four of us, drink water when we would go out to eat, we would save like $300 in drinks on the trip. I'm like, we'll buy pop in the room. If the McDonald's has the dollar soda, we'll do that. But when we go to restaurants, we're not paying $3 a drink, you know, and all that kind of thing. And I figured this up, you know, we'll save like $300. And we third day of the trip we, we, we go to a restaurant and, and they're like oh can we get a soda can we get a lemonade and I'm like no you're being mean <laughs> what you're in Hawaii we paid your way can we send them home now honey I mean what can we do but we're like that with God God gives us all these incredible things to enjoy in life that are good for us. And we always want the one thing he says, don't do. Stay away from. I mean, it's crazy. God's like, here's a glass of water. Here's a glass of antifreeze. Water's great. Don't drink the antifreeze. Don't tell me what to do, God. I'm my own person. We die. It's, I mean, it's crazy. Think about this. Here is Adam in the Garden of Eden, this paradise, this good God makes him. He shows him the universe he's made. He, he has this incredible earth, this paradise, this, this luscious garden. I'm sure the weather was perfect. The weather was great. They had all this fruit to eat. And he's getting ready to be given a naked woman by God. You, you'll see it. It's in the Bible. To be his wife. But man always wants the one thing that God says will kill you. I mean, the guy had it made. Adam's Bible only had two verses. That's it. Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. And don't jack with this tree. And as you're going to see next week, he's going to screw it up. It's crazy. And we do the same thing. God's like, I love you, Adam. And he says, I love you. I want all this for you. But I want to try the one thing that will hurt me, will kill me, that God says don't do. Boy, if God says don't do it, it must, must be good. must be fun. Yeah, there's pleasure in sin for a season, the Bible says. And Adam and Eve had a choice every day. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. We don't know. We don't know, it, you know, before they sinned. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if it was, you know, a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. We know that the Bible says that Adam lived to be like 900 and some years old. But I don't believe, you know, we read it in our Bible that like they're created one day and we're going to see very next chapter, boom, they're sinning like it happened the next day. I don't think so. I think there was some time that passed. I don't know how much time. I think there were some years walking with God and experiencing God's goodness and God's greatness and God's blessings. But every day they would walk by these two trees and they had to make a choice every day to, to continue to enjoy God's goodness and his blessings or take from the one thing God said will kill you. Church, we all, we all face the same two trees every day. 
We face a choice every day. Am I going to follow God and his word and his spirit? Or am I going to do what he tells me not to do and experience the devastation of sin and death and destruction? I think for us, these two trees are represented, they're talked about in the New Testament, spirit and flesh. When you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you have his spirit inside of you. And the spirit, you know, we see these in cartoons, you know, angel on one side, devil on the other. Which one are you going to listen to? Just think of them today as one tree good, one tree bad. And you make a choice. Am I going to listen to the spirit of God and obey that? Or am I going to do what I want to do and try and dabble in sin and see if I can get away with it? Romans 8, 13 says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will what, church? You'll die. Not just death, but your life, relationships and situations and, you know, not just physically, but mentally and socially and emotionally. But if you live by the Spirit and you choose to eat of the tree of life, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what, church? You'll live. We make a choice every day. Death or life. What's it going to be? I'd ask you this morning, church, what tree are you eating from? What are you listening to, the Spirit of God or your flesh? We've seen the first heavens and earth, the first man. You're going to like this. Now we, we jump in and we see God zoom in on the first marriage. The first marriage in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God, God has made Adam. He's put him in the garden. Tells him, don't jack with the tree. And then verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not what, church? It is not good that man should be alone. Because at this point he was alone. I will make a helper, make him a helper comparable to him. God says it is not good that man should be alone. He needs a wife. And all the men said, amen. 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 I think I heard a lady say amen louder than the guys. <laughs> what the heck? God says it right here. Men do not do well on their own, alone. I mean, before I met Shelly, I had a mullet and wore pastels all the time. I wasn't good. God's like, I make this man. It's interesting because if you go back and you read all of chapter 1, everything God makes, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. He sees the man, Adam, he made that's alone. He says, it's not good. It is not good. This guy is not going to make it. He's going to kill himself. It is not. I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. I'm going to give him a wife. You know, sometimes I'll be talking to single guys, and they'll be like, you know, I just need a prayer partner. I need an accountability partner. I, you know, I need advice. I need a friend. I need someone to talk to. You need a wife. That's what you need. You need a wife. You want somebody to talk to? She'll talk to you. She'll talk to you so much. It's great. She'll talk to you. Hey, you admit, single man, you need accountability? She'll be happy to fulfill that role. She will jump right in there. It's, it's, it got attended that way. Because we're not supposed to be alone. What, Proverbs 18.22 says this, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Finds a good thing. <laughs> the lady's like, yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but listen, not just any kind of wife. God says, I, I'm going to make a helper that is comparable. Verse 18 says, I'm going to make him, first you want to look for a wife who's a helper. And I can just hear some people, sexist, that's sexist. No, that's God's plan. Sex, listen, a wife being a helper, that word helper, is not a denigrating term. This is the same word that is used to describe God in many places in the scripture. It says he's a, a help in time of trouble. Does that make God JV? No. He's our helper. He's God. The, the Bible tells us our Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is also our helper. That's some pretty good company, ladies. To help. To come alongside. I'm just telling y'all, without my wife, Shelly, we've been married 20 years. I would, there's no way I'd be your pastor. I don't even know if I'd be alive. I don't know where I'd be. I, I, my wife is such a help to me. She's one of the most amazing women. I mean, I, I, I could not ask for a better wife, mother to our kids. She helps me so much. In ministry, we've been a team for over 20 years. I'm going to tell you guys, Orchard Church would never have been planted if I didn't have Shelly as my wife to partner with me and be a part of this team. It, it would not. It wouldn't. And I thank God for her and the help she brings to me. You know, and... I, 
I, I've said this to people. I can't think in 20 years of marriage where Shelly and I have had a major decision to make that she said, Doug, I don't really think that's a good idea. That I said, I'm going to do it anyway. I just learned early on. And of course she told me, Doug, if you would listen to me more, you'd be right a whole lot more. <laughs> and I hate to admit it, but usually it's true. And I just learned that, you know what, God has given this beautiful, wonderful wife to me to help me and to be my soulmate and to be my teammate and to be my partner. And, you know, I think the problem is for a lot of marriages, for a lot of men, they, they don't want to listen to their wife. They think that when God says the man's supposed to be the spiritual leader, that means that they don't listen to their wife. Or when it says they're supposed to be the helper, it means they're supposed to just shut up and be quiet. Men, you need to listen to your wives. God put them in your life to give you wisdom and help you. Now, ladies, you do have to be careful how you share things. It's not what you say. It's how you say them and all of that. But men, you need to listen to your, your mate, to your wife, to your helper. And, and ladies, let me say this. And I think this has happened with a lot of Christian ladies. You know, they read in the Bible that they're supposed to be submissive to their husbands and they're to be the helper. And some people have even taught them that means, you know, keep your mouth shut and let him make all the decisions. I don't believe that's what it means at all. I believe that means you're to help. Sometimes I'm counseling a couple and, you know, they come in and, he, and the guy has made some bonehead decision. You know, he's got them into some business deal that went, went south or, you know, made some crazy decision about, you know, Bible doctrine, about to get them in a cult. And, and now it's messed up their marriage and their life. And, and I say to the wife, well, did you say, what, what did you think about? Oh, I knew. I knew this was going to go bad. Well, did you say anything? Oh, no, I wanted to be submissive. That doesn't help. Amen? No. Do it in the right spirit, but be a helper. Men, listen to your wives. Ladies, wives, be willing to speak up. Be willing to help. You know, it's, it's Father's Day. I realize that. It's Father's Day. And we're already seeing that God made the man to be the spiritual leader. But listen, he wants to put a wife in your life to be your helper. And if you've got a wife that is a helper, we need to thank God for helpful wives. Amen? Thank God for them. And then he says in verse 18, he says, I'm, I'm not only going to give you a wife that's a helper but she's going to be comparable to you it means she's she's a fit i mean if you like nascar budweiser and hunting you're probably not going to marry someone who likes merlot and shoe shopping i mean you just you just probably not going to go well you know i mean you're going to find somebody that is a fit you like some of the things same things you have some things in common you know if you want to be in full-time ministry then find a wife that wants to be in full-time ministry if you want to live in the city find a wife that wants to live in the city or if you want to live in the mountains you, that she's comparable and so this, is, this next part to me is hilarious. God, you don't think God has a sense of humor? I think he does. Because God comes to Adam and he says, it's not good that you should be alone, Adam. You need a wife. You need a helper. You need somebody comparable. You need a soulmate. And so what is the next thing that God does? The very next verse after he says that, he starts bringing all these animals in front of Adam. I think that's hilarious. Adam... You need a helper. You need someone comparable to you. You need a wife. You need a soulmate. Let me go get some options. Here comes an aardvark. <laughs> Name it. Here comes a rhino. How about that? You know, I mean, look at it. We just come off of verse 18. You need a helper comparable. Verse 19. Then out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. What? And every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would name them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And he's like, thank God. Woo! I, this is not, you know, God's like, do you like any of these choices, Adam? You know, aardvark, rhino, how about the goat? You know what? Monkey. I mean, and finally they get through all the animals and God's like, Settle down, Adam. I'm just playing a little joke on you. None of these are for you. None of them. Now listen, what did Eve look like? We have no idea. We do not know what Eve looked like. But I'll tell you what, compared to the other options, she was a hottie. I mean, she was drop-dead gorgeous. He'd just seen all these stinky animals coming before him. Now he gets to see Eve. This is going to get good. Now watch this. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Gave him a little divine anesthetic. I, people have theorized, why did he put Adam to sleep? I think he put him to sleep to shut him up and like, so God could do his work. You know, let me, let me take care of this, Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs. Everybody say ribs. ribs. 
took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. We know that Eve, as we're going to see in a moment, was made from the rib of Adam. The feminists would say women need to be out in front of men. The chauvinists would say men need, uh, women need to be behind men. God says, nope, she needs to be right beside man. She's from the rib. She's his soulmate. She's his partner. They're, they're, they're co-laborers together. They're a team together. He, he's right by her heart, right where the rib is, right there. That's, that's what God designed. That's what the Bible says. And, and the Lord called caused this deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs. Verse 22, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a womb man. You know, you know what a woman is? It's just like a man, but she has a womb. She has the ability to reproduce and have children. He made a woman and he, who's the he? God. God brought her to the man. Oh my gosh, church. This is so good. If you could just picture this, Adam's like, no, I can't do this alone, you know. And, and God's like, you need a helper, you need a wife, you need somebody comparable to you. The, none of the animals would fit, so he puts him to sleep. You know, Adam wakes up from the sleep, and God presents Eve to Adam. I mean, you could just hear the R&B in the background. I'm just telling you. I mean, little Barry White, Lionel Richie, if you're from my time. For you younger people, Bruno Mars is playing. I mean, you could just hear it as he wakes up and he sees Eve for the first time. And I love this. Who brought the woman to the man? God did. Where, listen, men, where do our wives come from? God. That's why they're so awesome. She comes from God. He brings her. He presents her to Adam. Does she have a wedding dress on? No. 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 R&B's playing, man. Make a note, ladies. Just, just write this down in your notes. I don't think I put it in there, but write it down. Get married. Be naked. It's biblical. It's biblical. Pastor Doug said it. You can write it down right there. Bet you didn't expect to hear that at church this morning. But it's true. Now listen. Here's the garden scene. God makes Eve, walks her down the aisle at the first marriage and presents her to Adam. Was Eve's father there? No, she didn't have an earthly father, but she had her heavenly father. Oh man, what a beautiful scene. The first marriage as she's walked down the aisle by God himself. You know, there are probably some of you ladies in here that your father wasn't able to walk you down the aisle either because you didn't want him to or because he wasn't around or maybe he had passed away. I got some great news. Your heavenly father's there with you. He's there with you. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 68, 5? He's a father to the fatherless. Eve didn't have her daddy to walk her down the aisle. I mean, this is just incredible. And God's answer to man's loneliness is a wife. That's what he created. That's, this is the first marriage. And this is the pattern for marriage that God lays out right in the beginning. One woman for one man in the covenant relationship of marriage. This does, not, this does not leave any room for bisexuality, homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality, polygamy, adultery, fornication, cohabitation. None of those things line up with what God designed. And there's a big debate today about what is marriage, trying to define marriage. And the reason is no one reads their Bible. They don't read what God created and what God designed. And the pattern is clear. And this is God's solution. Now let me ask you this. At this point, has Eve had a big day? Let's review. She got made. That's pretty big. She meets God for the first time. Pretty big. She's going to her wedding as soon as she's made. She's naked. That, for some of you ladies, that's too much for one day. But that's Eve's first day. Now... Adam, I'm just trying to take you guys to the garden on this thing. Adam needs to say something. Here she is. She's presented to him at this wedding. He needs to say something. These are the first recorded words of man. He better be careful. He's going to say his first words to his wife. He better be careful. Here she is. She's brought down. And Adam said, the first time he sees Eve, there she is. And Adam said, No, that... <laughs> That is in the original Hebrew. If you guys will go check that out, you'll see that. 
We got to make this fun. All right. I just want to tell you guys, I went over this entire message with two of the guys on staff first. Because I was like, is this too much? Am I crossing the line? And one of our guys on staff, I won't tell you who, but he's our student director. And <laughs> I go, do you think I'm, I'm crossing the line? He goes, no, man. S say that husbands and wives need to have sex more. Keep saying that. <laughs> just tell them God said. That's right there, man. He said, just preach it. I'm like, okay, Jared. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Vanessa. Okay. And then last night, I went over some of this with Shelly, and she, she, I, I got clearance on all this. Some of y'all are going, does Shelly know that he's saying that? Yeah, I got it all cleared last night. We're all, it's all good. Okay, now here's what Adam said. And in your, in your Bible, you'll notice it's like it's, it's in quotations, and it's a little different. because We can't see it in our Bibles, but in the Hebrew, it's a poem. Oh, this guy's good, man. First thing he's doing, and most Hebrew scholars believe the way the composition of the writing of this poem and the way it rhymed, it was a song. The dude sings her a song. Oh man, is he smooth or what? Remember, this was before sin, okay? So he's got, he's got everything going on right now. And so she, he says to Eve in this Hebrew love song, the first love song, this is now bone of my bones. She's, she's part of me. Flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called, whoa, man. Because she was taken out of man. That's, that's amazing. And he sings this song. Now, to close today, I want to close with this real quickly. The threefold biblical process of marriage. You see it all, everything we need to know about the process of marriage in verse 24. Because verse 24 says, therefore. Now, when we see a therefore, we need to ask, what is it therefore? Therefore, because God made man and he made woman, he made woman for the man and man for the woman, and that's marriage because of that. That's God's process. That's God's design. Could God have been any clearer? No. Therefore, because of what God designed, here's the process for biblical marriage. A man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one what, church? Flesh. Here's the threefold simple process. Number one, here's the biblical process of marriage. Everything you know to know about it is in verse 24 of Genesis 1. One, become a man. Become a man. Leave father and mother. Take responsibility for your own life. Listen, men, if you can't take responsibility for your own life, you have no business getting married and trying to take responsibility for somebody else. You can't take care of your own life. You're not going to take care of your wife. You're not going to take care of your kids. That's the problem. Too many guys are getting married and they're still boys. They're not men. And become a man. Leave father and mother. Take responsibility. Listen, let me ask you this, men. Is a woman incentive to become a man? Yes. Yes. It's a great incentive to become a man. How many times do you see? I mean, that's what God says. Because I designed woman to be with man, therefore, leave father and mother. Take responsibility. Get you a wife. I mean, how many times do you see this classic underachiever? You know, I mean, this guy's like living in his parents' ba basement. He's, you know, living off of Red Bull and Cheetos and, you know, had to take a shower in weeks and doesn't have a job. He meets a girl and all of a sudden the guy's pulling it together. He, he's getting a job. He's like, I got to move out of my parents' house. I mean, I got to get a vehicle. I can't take her on a honeymoon on a BMX bike. I mean, the guy, it's a great incentive. Become a man. You want to be married? Become a man. Take responsibility. Let me say this to the single ladies. Got any single ladies in here? Single ladies, raise your hand. Few, few, okay, several. Let me say this. Make him rise to the occasion. If he wants to be your husband, make him rise to the occasion. Don't marry a man with potential. Oh, he's got so much potential. No, marry a man with a job. Marry a man that has his own place. Marry a man that can take some responsibility. Listen, ladies, get a man you can help, not one you have to fix. And there is a difference. Because marriage is for men. It's not for boys. First thing, become a man. Become a man. Leave father and mother. Take responsibility. Number two, get married. It says... He left his father and mother and was joined to his wife. Be joined to his wife. Become a man and get married. Be joined to a wife. This doesn't leave room for try before you buy, living together, cohabitation. Make a commitment. That's the problem today. Nobody wants to make a commitment. Marriage is not a contract. We've said this before. It is a covenant. It is a, it is a commitment that you make. 
You know, if you want to have a woman, then become a man, get married. I think Beyonce said it best. Put a ring on it, you know? If you like it, put a ring on it, okay? That's what God says. Become a man, get married, make the commitment. Can I have an amen? amen. That's what God says. That's God's design. And then after you become a man and you get married, you make a commitment. Number three, process of marriage, you see it right here, is enjoy intimacy. Enjoy intimacy. Let me spell that word for you. S-E-X. That was not my idea. That was God's. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's God's plan. That's what God intended. If you follow the biblical process, become a man, get married, enjoy intimacy. The married couple is supposed to be fruitful and multiply. The, the married couple is supposed to enjoy their sex life together. The Orchard Church's theological position on marriage is become a man, get married, and have sex with your spouse. And I don't make apologies for that. Because that's what God designed. And to you men, I say, Happy Father's Day. You don't need to go to the table and get a gift. I just gave you the best gift you can get on Father's Day. And, and listen to the endorse. Man, we're going overtime. We're getting late. I haven't spoken three weeks, y'all. I've had a lot to say. Okay, we're, we're going to wrap it up. But listen. Listen to the endorsers of this process. Become a man, get married, enjoy intimacy with your spouse. The endorsers of this process are huge. Again, everybody's trying to redefine marriage. And yet God gives us this clear process. Become a man, you know, get married, enjoy intimacy. A husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Listen to who endorses this. Moses endorses it. He's the one that wrote it. Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes about it in the epistles. That's some pretty big guns. That's some pretty big guns. I mean, the prophets, the law, the epistles, and the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. That's the dream team right there. And I mean, if they're saying that's what marriage is, I think we can embrace that. And I don't think we need to apologize for that. And I don't think we ought to be jacking with that. I'm just saying. Here's, here's the problem today. Very few people obey the biblical process. And that's the problem. And that's why when I say the word sex, it makes some of you nervous. Because it's become a dirty word in our society. We've allowed the world to steal one of the most beautiful things that God created. I grew up in a church that I never one time growing up in the church I grew up in heard the word sex. Well, boy, I heard it everywhere else. I heard it on TV. I saw it in the movies. I heard about it from my other guy friends and people talking about it. I am not. I, I hope I haven't offended anybody today. That's not my intention. My intention is to be biblical. And I'm not going to make apologies for the process that God created. And I think as, as, as pastors and churches, if we would stand up for the truth more and talk about it, then maybe we would combat what the world is saying, which is the opposite. I'm just, you know... And, you know, we, we've been talking about this with our kids since they were very young. We don't want it to be a dirty word. We tell them this is wrong, but this is right. And this is what God in, intended. You know, it's, it's not, we got to remember, God created marriage. God created the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. It's not like God created Adam and Eve and then all of a sudden one day he looked down in the garden and he's like, what is going on? What? what? Well, I never thought of that. How did they, how did they figure that? No. I, he, it was his idea. It was his plan. All right, we got to wrap things up. Or I will cross the line. The biblical process is this. Become a man, get married, Enjoy intimacy with your, with your spouse. With your spouse. I've said too much. Now, in all seriousness, here's the problem. Boys just want to have sex. They don't, want to, they don't want to become a man. They don't want to be responsible. They don't want to get married. They don't want to make a commitment. They just want a naked woman. Seriously. That's what boys do. Men of the Bible, God's men, they follow God's process. They become a man, they make a commitment, they get in the covenant of marriage, and they enjoy intimacy inside of that. I, I, when I say this, you're going to want to laugh, and I'm being all, in all seriousness. Let me say this. God created every man to want a naked woman. 
It's all about how you go about it. You're going to do it God's way and eat from the tree of life? Or are you going to try to do it your way and end up eating from the tree of death and destruction and problems and sin and all of its negative effects? You see, when we do things God's way, it is a beautiful, wonderful, joyous thing. That's what God wants us to experience, the joy and satisfaction, the blessing, the oneness, the intimacy, and not just sexually, but in every way, with your spouse. But when we try to do it our way, it creates all kinds of problems. And, and, and just before anybody starts emailing me after this message, I don't know if we should say those kind of things that you said in church. Look at verse 25, and I'll close with this. And they were both naked. The man and his wife, doesn't say the man and his woman, she's his wife, and they were not what? They're not ashamed. You know why they weren't ashamed? Because that is what God created. And they were doing it God's way. It was God's design. Some of you today may feel incredible guilt and shame because maybe of some past sexual sin. It is not my intention nor God's today to make you feel guilty and ashamed. It's to offer you forgiveness and the grace of God. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You can walk out of here today free. You can walk out of here today clean and knowing you're living the way God wants you to live. Amen? Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, God and, and I and all of our staff here, we want you guys to experience God's best and God's blessings and God's joy, but you gotta do it God's way. And it comes down to a choice between two trees. Now next week, you don't wanna miss it because we're gonna look at the fall. We're gonna look at where Adam and Eve messed up and where we all mess up and the choices. But first things first, we have a decision to make. Which tree have you been eating from? You think about it, history is divided. You know, people divide history in so many ways, but history is divided by trees and weddings. In the book of Genesis in the beginning, there's two trees and there's a wedding. You go a little further in the Bible, and Jesus dies on a tree so that we might one day eat of the tree of life. Jesus said his first miracle, it was a wedding in Canaan. Jesus died on the cross so he could become our groom and we as the church could become the bride of Christ. You get to the end of the Bible in Revelation. And you know what Revelation tells us? That those that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are the bride of Christ. The first thing that's going to happen when we get to heaven is there's going to be a wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And we as Christians are going to be presented to our groom, Jesus Christ. And there is going to be the tree of life that shows up again in that garden. And all who have accepted Christ get to enjoy and eat of that tree forever and ever. History is divided by trees and weddings. Which tree are you eating from? Which tree have you eaten from? Would you bow your heads this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment as we wrap this up. I appreciate your patience this morning. It was a little bit longer, kind of doing the introduction with this one. If you're here today, let me ask you this. If you have eaten from the tree of death, we've all eaten from the tree of death, the Bible says, because we've all sinned. But here's the good news. You can eat from the tree of life when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his only son for us. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I know I've messed up, I know I've sinned, I know I've done something wrong, but I want to know that I'm going to eat from the tree of life. I want to know that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. You can pray a prayer of faith right where you sit this morning and say, Jesus, would you come into my life? And if you're ready to pray that prayer of faith, let me lead you in that prayer. And it's not the words you say, but it's, it's the heart and your faith where it comes from. And if you're ready to receive Jesus and make sure that you're going to have a home in heaven, with the tree of life forever. Would you pray this prayer with me by faith and just simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for giving me eternal life. And if you prayed that and you meant it, the Bible says whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that you would grow in that relationship each and every day and that you thank Jesus for that salvation. And those of you that are here this morning that you know you've accepted Christ. Which, which tree are you? You know you've eaten of the tree of life. You know you've accepted Jesus. But do you sometimes still find yourself grabbing for the wrong tree? I mean, Jesus has all these wonderful things for you to enjoy. But you keep grabbing for the one thing that he says, don't touch. It's going to hurt you. It's not going to be good for you. 
And you'd say, you know what? I want to stop grabbing for the wrong tree. I want to make sure that I listen to the Spirit, not the flesh. I want to make sure I enjoy God's blessings and God's way, not my way. And I want to focus on all the goodness and the things that God has offered, not the one thing He says to avoid. If, you're, if that's you this morning, Christian, would you slip up your hand for prayer all across this auditorium? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands in every section. Father, I pray that you would help us as believers to listen to your spirit and your word, that we would focus on all your blessings and all of your goodness and all the things that you've designed, that we wouldn't go after the one thing that you tell us to, to stay away from, but we would focus on obeying your word and following you each and every day, God. Forgive us where we failed you. Forgive us where we've reached for the tree of death. Forgive us, Lord, we've made decisions that are not according to your word. And Lord, help us to embrace the beauty of marriage, one man, one woman, for life, unapologetically. And Lord, for those that have made decisions that don't line up with that, that we pray that we would reach out to them with your forgiveness, with your grace, with your love, because we want what you want for them to experience your best and your blessings as we live a lives according to your word and your pattern and your plan. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate some decisions made this morning for Christ?